pray for a moment. Lord, thank you this morning. We welcome you. We invite you to speak. We pray, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill our hearts and minds. Come and fill my words. Come, Lord, and open the scriptures to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We're continuing today in our short preaching series called Living on the Summit. We're spending three weeks looking at the Christian life and specifically at Romans chapter 8, undoubtedly the summit, the peak, the high point of the New Testament. The great 20th century Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said Romans 8 is the brightest gem and it's the most moving chapter in the book of Romans. Biblical scholar Robert Mount said, learning how to live in and by the Spirit is the single most important lesson a believer can learn. Now hear that. Learning how to live in and by the Spirit is the single most important lesson that a believer can learn. And Romans 8 is all about what life in the Spirit, life on the summit, life with Christ is, uh, is like and about. Now we need to understand that the Christian life is not... Not, not, not about rules and regulations. There are principles to learn. There is the law of God involved. But first and foremost, the Christian life is life with the Spirit. It's the gift that God gives us when we come to faith in Jesus. When our sins are forgiven, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. Everyone say, he's in me. He's in me if you have faith in Jesus Christ. That is the Christian life. Last week in our beginning lesson from Romans 8, Paul said this in verse 9, you belong to God if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. God is in us. We started out last week as Kendall, really he only did two verses, they were meaty, Um, he he was talking about the fact there's no condemnation. We're forgiven and we're free. Now, if you want to hear verses 3 through 13, you can go onto our website and listen to my sermon from last week because I got through it all. (laughs) I'm just saying. There's no competition here, but you know. So we find out in the beginning that, that we're saved from our sin by Jesus Christ. And then the rest of those verses talk about how we can overcome that sin by the Holy Spirit. And that leads us into where we are today. Today we're going to see one primary thing and its implications about this gift of God, about this life in the Spirit, about living on the summit. And what we're going to see today is that we have a new identity in Jesus Christ. Everyone say, a new identity. Now, I heard a story about a man who on August 31st, 2004, was found beaten, naked, unconscious, and covered in fire ant bites behind a Burger King in Richmond Hill, Georgia. It's a true story. He had no wallet, no phone, nothing, no identification at all. He was unconscious when they got him to the hospital, and he finally came away, came to consciousness the doctors realized very quickly this guy had absolute, total, total amnesia. He didn't forget just a little bit. Everything was blank to this man. 
and for 11 years, no one knew who he was. Can you imagine that? 11 years. The FBI did fingerprint analysis. They did DNA testing. They couldn't figure out anything about it. Dr. Phil, you know who that is? <laughs> did a whole TV episode about him. Nationally syndicated, nobody claimed the guy. Dr. Phil even hired a private eye to search out his identity, and the investigator came up empty. Nobody knew who he was. Now, imagine if that were you. Come to church today, you come to our meeting afterwards, you go off to lunch, you do whatever you're going to do this afternoon, maybe you come to the newcomer's uh, dinner with us this evening, and then tomorrow, bam! Sorry. <laughs> I either woke you up or, or brought you to the Lord, I'm not sure which. Some tragedy happens, some trauma occurs, and for 11 years, you don't know who you are. Nobody knows who you are. That would be a tragedy. But that's actually how far too many Christians live their Christian life. Not knowing who you are. Not understanding your true identity in Jesus Christ. Not understanding or having the foggiest notion of, of all the privileges and promises that are yours because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Not understanding the permissions, the freedoms that you have. Not knowing your identity and what it affords you now in this life and then for the ages to come. And that's what we're going to talk about today, your identity in Jesus Christ. If you want to take out your scripture sheet, or you can look at the screens, but scripture sheet might help some of you. We're going to pick up at verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, notice first that it says about your identity in Christ that you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, and by the way, daughters, as sons and daughters. So what is your identity in Christ? You are an adopted child of God. That is who you are. That is what God has to say about you. By faith in Christ, you are an adopted son or daughter of Jesus. You were once an object of wrath, once a rebel, once outside the promises of God, once far away from his heart, but now you have been brought in. This is your identity in Christ. You are an adopted child of God. You're in the family. Now think about that. God already had a son, but he chose you to be a son or a daughter. And God doesn't have to do that. You realize that. God doesn't owe us anything. He chooses to adopt us and to bring us into the family of God. There are plenty of accidental conceptions in the world, but there's never once been an accidental adoption in the world. You might be the product of an unwanted pregnancy. There are no unwanted adoptions. You are wanted by God. 
In fact, in Ephesians 1, it says in this remarkable passage that before the foundation of the world, he predestined you to adoption in his son Christ. Now, if, if that doesn't bake your noodle and then change your heart, I'm not sure what will. Before you did anything good, bad, or indifferent, he looked from eternity past and he saw you and said, I will have this one. And he gave you the grace to come to faith, to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ so that you could be forgiven, brought into the family, the spirit of God living in you now and forevermore. There's not enough faces registering how good that is. Because when your heart gets it, your face is going to know it. You are his adopted child. He is your loving father. And, and Paul was very, very intentional about using that adoptive imagery. The reason is because he's writing to the Romans. In the Roman culture, a natural born son could be cast out of the family, but an adopted son could never be cast out of the family. And what does that mean? In using the imagery that you are now an adopted daughter, an adopted son, it means that you can't be cast out. God will not toss you aside. You will not be abandoned. Oh, the people of your life may have abandoned you, harmed you, betrayed you, left you in the dirt. But God Almighty in Christ will never abandon you. Your heart has a place in the heart of God. Your soul has a home with God for all of eternity. That's who you are. Oh, Chris, you don't know what I did this week. I don't care. I mean, I do. Because you're hurting yourself and some of the behaviors you're acting in, but those behaviors are contrary to your new identity in Christ. To say, I'm not a very good Christian. No, you're not behaving well. You're an adopted son or daughter of Christ. And that is incredibly good news. Do you see what it means in light of your relationship? Once selected, never rejected. That's you. Can you let that sink in? I have been selected by God. I will never be rejected by God. You will never be rejected. And you've got to learn to see yourself through God's eyes, the way he sees you. Because when you do, you'll start to live according to God's family. You'll be like him. You'll, you'll long to know him. You'll long to be a chip off the old block, a reflection of dad, if you will. Now, when I came to Christ, it was several years of God undoing all sorts of things. I mean, there was a lot of mess in my life. And at one point, I got so desperately, desperately hungry for more of Jesus. Some of you know what that's like. It's like you can't get enough. You want him more than anything else. It's like I'd rather have Jesus than air. And, and when I got to that point, the Holy Spirit filled my life. It wasn't that I earned it. I just was desperate for more of Jesus. The Holy Spirit baptized me in his power and his life, and he brought a deep healing into my heart, and he had to because of, of the things I brought into my Christian life. I had been abandoned by my father. I had been abused by my stepfather. I was terrified, terrified of life, but nobody would have known that. No way. Everybody would have said just the opposite. High achiever, right? Very gifted. Look at the things that guy can accomplish. But that was me performing and trying to fake out the world and push down the fear because I was desperately afraid that I wouldn't measure up, that I wouldn't 
make the cut. The Holy Spirit delivered me. He filled me. And he delivered me from fear. We bring fear into our Christian lives, many of us. Some of you have been living your whole life in the church under fear. But see, when you live under fear, you're going to end up a slave to religious duty, doing all sorts of things to prove yourself to God that you're okay, that you measure up, so that he won't cast you aside, so that you'll make it into heaven, that your good deeds would outweigh your bad. No, they will never outweigh your bad, because all it takes is one sin to be outside of the presence of God. You either get in by grace or you stay outside forever. You get in by the mercy of Jesus But until you have received the fullness of his life, fear will often dominate your church experience. Paul says you have not been given a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. I want to tell you, and I just tell you this because I care about you. Some of you need some inner healing prayer because you've been beaten down and battered. You carry wounds in your soul and you're projecting so much upon God that isn't his, but comes out of the diseased experiences, the hardships and the heartaches of your life, the sins that others have carried out against you and that you've carried out against your own body. And he will set you free from fear, but you may need some help. Jonathan, myself, some of our prayer team, we'd love to pray with you. God doesn't want you afraid. He wants to deliver you from fear. Now, notice that Paul encourages us to think of our heavenly father as not just, you know, the big man in the sky, that's a terrible image, but as a daddy, that's intimate. Papa, dada, by the Holy Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his commentary on Romans says that Abba is the language lisped by a child stammered into by a little one. He writes, notice the word cry. We cry, Abba, Father. It's a strong word. It's a deliberate word choice. There's a strong emotion associated with it. This is not dry doctrine. This is intimate relationship. Now think about it. When does a child cry to or for their daddy? When they're sad, when they're angry, when they hurt, when they're afraid, when they're lonely, when they need help, when they're in trouble, when they need protection. I cannot number the amount of times I heard in the night from my kids, in the dark, during a thunderstorm, when somebody was about to throw up. (laughs) Daddy! And sometimes it took them a few cries to get me out of bed, but they always knew I would come. They never doubted I would show up because they knew their father's heart. If, if I, being, being an evil father in the sight of the one truly good father, know how to give good gifts to my children, how much more will your heavenly father give his presence, give his Holy Spirit, give his comfort, give his life to you? And the answer is way, 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 way more. But it isn't just in the negative sense, like when we're crying out in pain. My kids cried out for joy. 
There was a whole season of life where anytime I would go out of town and I would come home, there would be three kids and two dogs having a party because daddy's home. Woo! Anybody? All right. Well, I had that party at my house <laughs> and I loved it. It was fantastic. You see, see, we cry out with the joy of the relationship too. It's not just the hardships. It is those. But, but just simply the joy of the one who loves us deeply, powerfully, passionately, our protector, provider, the one who will never let us down. Look at verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Notice that. The Lord doesn't want you to live without assurance. He doesn't want you to live insecure before him. The Spirit is the one who bears witness with your spirit with a deep place within you that you're his. Has that occurred for you? Because if it has, you'll know it. And if it hasn't, you can know it. Start asking him, Lord, I'm an insecure Christian. I'm not assured in my faith. Well, if you believe in Christ, you're in. Ask him, what's the block? Where's the trauma? Where's the heartache? Where's the unbelief? Where has the enemy pulled the wool over your eyes through some bad theology along the way? The Passion Translation says, the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Do you know that? That you are the beloved daughter. You are the beloved son. It's you. Verse 17, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So because we're now in the family, because we're God's children now, we stand to inherit. We stand to inherit. We're co-heirs with Christ. What is his will one day be ours. Now he is called the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What do you think is his? How much? It's extravagant. It's abundant. It's uncalculable. Of course, with the queen's passing here recently and the funeral tomorrow, there is such a focus. Like, is anybody not aware of what's going on in England? My daughter yesterday uh, was at Westminster Abbey. She couldn't get in because there was a 16-hour line. And then they were over at Buckingham Palace and just sort of taking it all in. She and a friend of hers had traveled down from Cambridge and like she said, everything is reflecting the queen and the sorrow. And think about, think about what you've seen of the queen. You know, one of the images that's really captured my attention is when she was coronated. Because, of course, the king right, will be coronated. But, but in all of those resplendent jewels, anybody seen the rocks? <laughs> Holy mackerel. Like, I'm not a big jewelry guy, and that is gorgeous stuff. It, it screams the lavishness of wealth. Y'all, those are rocks. They're pretty, but compared to the abundant, lavish riches of God, the eternal creator, oh my gosh, do you know what we're going to get? I, I don't, but I can imagine. Like, we're going to surf on quasars. <laughs> Our imagination is way too small in the average Christian, like, a, you know, a bit fat baby floating on a cloud. 
that's bad theology. We're going to worship and you're never going to get tired of it. And you're going to like, you know, praise as much as you like Handel's Messiah, as much as you like something from a country you never even heard of. You're like, I don't know what that instrument is, but I like it. We're going to sing with the angels and the archangels and all the company of heaven. And you're never going to go, when's this praise chorus going to end? Because it's just going to erupt with joy. And, and we're going to know him. In what way? In the same way that Jesus knows him? Our imaginations of what awaits us is far too small, which is why we get captivated by the petty things of this world and the trinkets of this life. The end of verse 18 says, we'll be glorified with him. We're going to share his radiant beauty and his splendor and his perfection. If you've ever seen the sun shining off the summit of a mountain peak that's covered with snow. The, the mountain is beautiful in its own right, in its grandeur, and yet when the sun hits the snow, it reflects the glory of that which is greater, and it, it's spellbinding, and it hurts your eyes, and that's what you're going to be like, reflecting the glory of the one who has saved you and made you his own. C.S. Lewis said, if we saw each other right now the way we truly are, we would be tempted to fall on our faces and worship one another. That's the beauty and the radiance of what the Spirit of God has done in you and will do through you for all of eternity. It's remarkable. And yet we will always look to the one who is so much greater and will throw our crowns before him and we will be astounded in the wonder of the love of God and the goodness of God. Now here's the rub. You will suffer. Oh, there is glory that breaks in. There are times in which we pray for miracles and the kingdom of God breaks in and we see things that just like leave us spellbound. I've seen things that are extraordinary. That's a whole nother sermon. But there is also suffering. There is suffering in this life. And why? Well, because Satan hates you. He can't get you, but he hates you. To him, you're an escaped convict. You've broken out of jail. You've been unplugged from the matrix. Your eternity is secure. You're not his slave anymore, but he sure would like to throw some things your way to get you tripped up or to cause you to live less than your identity in Jesus Christ. And the world will be offended by you. Why? Because you've decided not to waltz your way on the cruise ship to hell. It is far harder for the enemy to trip people up in horrible circumstances than it is in a place like we live right now. Because we fall in love with where we live and the lives we're building. It's way harder where we live in this beautiful community, on this wonderful island. I'm not against it. Don't hear me saying that. I'm just saying, like, it's easy to fall in love with your life here. And, and many of you are building a life that's actually contrary, anti-Christ. Because you're still chasing after the things. When, you, when it really boils down, you're chasing after the things that the world is chasing after. Things like fame and money and wealth and security. Our whole culture is built on that. 
don't hear me saying, oh, Chris is anti-America. I'm not. I love this country. I'm glad I live here. What I'm saying is that the values that most of us aspire to are actually contrary to our life in Christ. And that's why we wonder, why is there tension? It's why we're surprised when hardship comes our way. We're like, duh. No, that's normal. The basis of this world is tragedy. God has broken in to redeem the world and restore the story. You will suffer. People will be offended by you. They're going to snub you. They're going to exclude you. I'm going to say this to any of the students in the room. It applies to adults too, but you're going to get passed over sometimes. You're going to get uninvited. You're going to get unfriended. You're going to get unfollowed. Some people will make fun of you. But here's the thing. They'll never do it because you go to church. They'll only do it if they know you belong to Jesus. Because church is safe and innocuous, and there are plenty of churches, not this one, but there are plenty of churches where God doesn't, He's not required. And so church is safe, but Jesus, belonging to Jesus, an adopted son or daughter of Jesus, that will get you in trouble in the world. And it could cost you your life. People will die today somewhere in the world because they have named the name of Jesus. But they will not count that sacrifice too great to make for the one who has sacrificed everything for them. Martyred missionary Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot possibly keep in order to gain that which he can never possibly lose. Verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Notice Paul's not denying the pain or the suffering or the difficulties. Paul, Paul sacrificed, suffered hugely for his faith in Christ What he's saying is that the sufferings we face are small compared to what will come. Man, I I think I've got 30 more minutes in me, but I don't think we have 30 more minutes in us. Let's talk about the end just a little bit more, and then I'll wrap it up. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God you realize that the creation in this whole last section, I'll let you look at it later, that Paul's talking about the the creation was subjected to frustration. It all happens as a result of the fall. And and that's why we experience all these natural tragedies. It's why, you know, plants, pets, and people die. And we grieve. is because the creation has been subjected to the futility, the decay that's going on all around it. No matter how much we move toward progress, decay is still going on all around us. Paul says that the very universe is waiting and longing for what? For the big reveal. What's the big reveal? The full number of the sons and daughters of God being brought into the family. When the full number of the sons and daughters of God have been brought into the family then the end will come. And Jesus said that. He said, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to every tribe and nation. It'll go all around the world. Do you realize that we're about 10 years away from that happening? With with the speed at which Bible translation has picked up in recent years and and the the remarkable work that people like Wycliffe Bible translators are doing. I'm not saying it's going to happen the day after that. I'm just saying he said that's one of the big signs. The gospel is available to all 
The people of the world have the opportunity to respond. The creation is standing on its tippy toe and it's craning its neck to see the ingathering of the sons and daughters of God, the revealing of the children. It's kind of like when I do a wedding. At a wedding, the, right, the preacher's here, the, the groom is there, the best man is there, and at some point, you know, the wedding party comes in, and they all take their places, they all look lovely. And then at, at some point, the, the music shifts, probably Pachelbel's canon. And I say, please stand, and everybody stands. And everybody cranes their necks around behind them to see. And there's almost, I, I feel it at every wedding, there's almost like a collective intaking of breath. The dramatic pause. And the doors are opened. And the bride enters. And she's radiant in beauty. Every single time. Never seen an ugly bride. Such will it be at the revelation of the sons and daughters of God at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the glory that you will be brought into will far surpass every bit of suffering that you will experience. It's worth waiting for. It's worth suffering for. It's worth denying yourself some things for. Because you're going to get a new body I don't know about you, but I'm getting more and more excited about a new body every year. <laughs> I've got this one. And some of you have never had bodies that work very well. And you're going to be able to do things you have always dreamed of. Do you know your identity and what God says about you? Are you living from it? Incidentally, the, the guy with the amnesia... 11 years, they found out William Powell's his name. You can watch a documentary about him if you like. Finding Benjamin is the name of it. Please don't live 11, 21, 81 years not knowing your identity. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray by your merciful power you would deliver us from fear. And you was so deeply put within our hearts and minds the radical love that you have for us. That we would know our identity as the adopted sons and daughters of God. And we would live as your children in the world. For the sake of those who don't yet know you, that we might help you grow the family. We pray in Jesus' name.